truly a tale of two games and two outcomes, two endings, two types of performances for the Avalanche uh, this past week. These two home games here, a 6-3 to victory over the New Jersey Devils, followed by a 4-3 to loss to the Seattle Kraken. Um, I think it's really interesting to see the, the the kind of the wave of play the avalanche are going through right now they obviously they go by 10 game segments their first 10 game segment they were seven and three their second 10 game segment they're currently one and one going into another home game against the st louis blues on saturday tomorrow probably when you guys are all listening to this i am recording this friday night but the way that i look at it is the first six game segment six and oh the last six games two and four and it's just trying to figure out exactly what's going on there uh, of course, this is Arif Dean, Mile High Sports. You're listening to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Similar to last Friday and kind of a weekly cadence, now I'm going to be plugging in an interview I did with Sean Drotar and Sandy Clough over at Mile High Sports Radio earlier this afternoon. So uh, going over a lot of things, talking about that Seattle game, you're going to hear me touch on several points about how how the avalanche, uh, despite the loss, seemed to be kind of slowly figuring things out. You know, this reminds me of the 2022 season when they started two and four, but in those first couple weeks or in those first couple months, they were figuring things out. Nazem Kadri got his game back after a tough 2021 season, things like that. So uh, some of the highlights you'll hear me talk about is Val Nachushkin starting to chip in more offensively. The defense still trying to figure out those combinations. Jared Bednar being dead set on the johansson Nachushkin pairing, which you'll, you'll kind of hear my thoughts on that. Uh, some pretty interesting conversation there. I don't want to just kind of reiterate all the points I make there because then you'll be listening to it twice. I do want to touch on a couple things. Number one, the New Jersey game was a lot of fun. Uh, but I want to touch on two things specifically that I want to give my thoughts on. The first is I wrote about this, but after the game against the New Jersey Devils, I was talking uh, Miles Wood, and obviously a lot of the media was talking to Miles Wood given the performance he had and uh, – after he finished his media presser, all the media started walking out and heading toward the dressing room to talk to Jared Bednar. Before I did that, I kind of stopped dead in my spot and took out my phone and I wanted to tweet something that Miles Wood said. And by the time I finished tweeting, I'm about, you know, two minutes behind all the other reporters walking to Jared. So I was the last one in the room. And as the media was pouring out, Chris McFarland was kind of waiting on the out- outskirts of the of the big pile of media and cameras and Katie Goss and Altitude's cameras and all that. And uh, or not altitude, sorry, the, the 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 local news stations. It was a national television game. But uh, as soon as they started to pour away, uh, McFarlane, who was waiting on the outskirts, kind of came in and gave and gave Mileswood a fist bump and congratulated him and said, "Good job on the game." And they just kind of started to have a conversation about how like that's the performance I want to see. And then you know after that, I didn't really hear much, but. I think that was really cool. Like, I genuinely, genuinely love that. The only other time I've seen that is when Georgiev was in the middle of his hot hot run last year in uh, February or whatever it was, March. Uh, Chris McFarland came in and went out of his way to shake Georgiev's hand uh, before heading to his office or to where, you know, the coach's room is. And um, I just love the respect he has for his players. And it was almost as if McFarland was chatting with this guy and it was like this feeling of like, this is why we gave you six years. This is why I've been scouting you for for a few years. And this is why I wanted you so badly and did everything I can to bring you here on July 1st. That was awesome. The second thing that stuck out to me this past week is the Ryan Johansson, Josh Manson, 
story that you know we've all kind of know and love now about Johansson going out of his way talking to other leaders on the team like Jack Johnson and other guys and basically saying we want to create this shirts for Lana uh the, the mom strip for Lana shirts that were handed out during the mom's trip uh in that home game against the Blues followed by the road game against the Vegas Golden Knights so you know we got to talk to Josh and he said that it was Johansson's idea he came and found him and kind of told him this is what he wants to do and he obviously before doing it wanted Josh Manson's blessing and Josh gave him his blessing and and it went from there we never had a chance to talk to Johansson when that happened the day it did at Family Sports but the next day was morning skate against the Devils and I I pulled Johansson aside very quickly and asked him about it because I thought it was just such an incredible story and um Johansson said things like that kind of travel through the grapevine quick. This is a guy that was traded to the Avalanche in late June, early July time frame. And uh, I think it was June, actually. It was before July 1st. So uh, this is a guy that was traded to the Avalanche in June. And then sometime in August, Josh Manson's mom passes away. Whether he had met and talked to Josh in person at that time yet or not is anybody's guess. I don't think he did. Uh, but this is a guy that's been on the other side of those... Uh, of, of games for you know several years now they had that crazy series in uh, 2017 between the national predators and anaheim ducks ryan johansson versus andrew cogliano and josh manson when i asked josh about it in preseason he was like oh it's a total war just an absolute war and we've already talked about it but johansson gets traded to this team and i could not be more blown away by just his demeanor and his personality like i didn't know josh manson or sorry ryan johansson at all before the trade like in terms of like in person i know a little bit about his game from watching quite a few of his uh games over the years i had no idea i had nothing about his personality and he has exceeded the expectations that i didn't even have for him is kind of the best way to put it so when I talked to Raijo about it, he kind of said that, you know, things travel through the grapevine quick. And over the summer, I heard about it in August. So again, traded to the Avs in June. Manson's mom passes away in August. New teammate has barely even like built that teammate rapport with him yet, especially not on the ice or even training camp or anything. Um, and he still went out of his way that when, you know, this this mom's trip came to be and the dates were announced, you know, and the team started to learn about it. He went out of his way to say, I got to be a part of this and I got to do something for Josh and talk to the other veterans. And then when I asked him about getting the shirts made, he actually gave me a fun tidbit, which I'm actually going to follow up with him on here in the next couple of days at one of the morning skates or practices. He said that he has his own clothing brand, so he was able to get that quick turnaround to get those shirts made. So stay tuned on that because I'm genuinely interested in learning more about Ryan Johansson having his own clothing line or clothing brand and, and, and being able to do what he did for Josh Manson. So just an incredible story there. Like I said, the Avalanche are two and four in their last six, but you're going to hear in this interview why it's probably not the end of the world. After all, they are eight and four. There's, you're starting to kind of learn a little bit about what this team is. Definite holes on the roster. You're going to hear me talk about the D and the pairings there. You're going to hear me talk about kind of the top six and how Jared's trying to make sure he gets that fixed here soon with all the line juggling and combination mixes that he's doing. So catch that interview. Hope you guys have a wonderful Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, whenever you're listening to this. And uh, I'll be sure to catch up with you guys here soon. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the interview. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Last night took an L, but tonight I bounce back. Less than a minute to go here. Head off for Larson. Kraken are a desperate bunch as well. Gorkstrand. 
Wants to reverse direction. Gave it up. Shot. Save plus the touch. Score. I can't believe it. Oliver Bjorkstrand. Far shot of the crease. The puck goes right to him for his second of the game. And with 31.6 left, the Kraken have gone on top 4-3. Oh, I did not see that coming at all. I mean, I thought as a whole, I mean, that's the way I want our team to compete. That's, you know, it was, we, we played hard. We weren't perfect. Uh, never going to be. Um, but I thought we did a nice job. Those, of course, were the voices of Mark Mosier and Mark Rycroft on Altitude and then Jared Bednar after agree the with game. Bednar. Great job with Danny Bailey to assemble all of that. Uh, I... I do think they played pretty well. They did lose by that score, four to three. They weren't able to to, to get the equalizer in the last half of, the, of a minute, but they actually came surprisingly close on a couple of occasions. Joining us now to talk about it is Mile High Sports, a top hockey writer, our main Avalanche writer. His name is Arif Dean. You can follow him on a Twitter at Run Right Arif. That's A A R I F. Uh, host of the Rocky, uh, pardon me, the Hockey Mountain High podcast, of course. Uh, so, Arif, thanks for joining us. Uh, ap- appreciate it. We'll get into the game. The first thing uh, to ask, though, uh, Arturi Lekkonen goes hard into the boards. Both Sandy and I talked about it, even on the broadcast. Kind of, kind of more lousy luck than dirty. Uh, taken oh, to the hospital. Uh, what is the latest on Lekkonen? There hasn't been any updates yet. The Avalanche were off today. Uh, Friday. I'm losing track of my days. So I'm sure we'll hear something morning skate. Uh, best case scenario, and, and I don't mean best case in the terms of it's going to have the same lingering issues, but best case scenario, in my opinion, the best case would be if it ends up something like what we saw last year with Kel McCarr when he took that uh, Jeff Carter hit. And it Which ended up was questionable. Like it was questionable, yeah, but it ended up being that thing where it's like, He's on concussion protocol. He just has to pass right. concussion test for right. seven to ten days, and he'll come back. Yeah, because I think that's ultimately where like, it is. Yeah. yeah. So that would be best case scenario. Obviously, I'm not talking about what ended up happening with Kale, and then he got hit by a Blues player later. Like, that's a different story. But I'm I'm willing to wager it's something to do with concussion protocol, just given the way his head went into the boards. Uh, like you said, just a completely unfortunate, unlucky play. I love that Jared. Uh, Jared knows how to kind of balance, you know, sticking up for his guys with being honest because he was very, very clear with me when I asked him about the Cogliano hit that he took from Vince Dunn and how it's a check from behind and it should have been a penalty and blah, 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 blah. And then when somebody else asked him about the Lekkonen hit, he said Alexiak did nothing wrong. It was just he did. unfortunate. He play. didn't. And good for well, Mark Rycraft on the, the – Telecast, Mark Rycroft uh, on the on the telecast, uh, immediately pushing back on, the same thing, yeah. on the notion that was initially expressed that it might have been uh, a, a dirty hit. It was not in any way, shape, or form. It was unfortunate, yeah. but it's it's hockey. People get hurt, just like people get hurt. And I I think we're we're now in this kind of realm of uh, any injury that looks serious. Well, it has to be a cheap shot that is connected to it and this in no way was a cheap shot uh it 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 just is something that happens in hockey and i mean the uh, uh, seattle uh kid everly uh, missed the game because in practice the other day uh, someone ran a skate blade uh over his leg and hopefully that's not very serious Uh, um these deals with skate blades now, uh, you know, they got to put neck guards out there. I, I don't know how they get it done, but it has to be done quickly. In any case, 
I, I am I alone with Bednar? Uh, it sounds like you and Sean are with me on this. I actually thought the Avalanche played a good game, and losing Lekkonen, it, it, for whatever reason, losing Lekkonen is a big blow when he's playing on the top line with McKinnon and Rantanen, and actually all three are having very good games. And by the end, it, you know, McKinnon was. Uh, I think probably their best player last night, but Ranton was quite good. Uh, Nishushkin got a little more ice time once uh, Lekkonen went out, and I thought he played well, and I thought, you know, defensively they were fine. Uh, Goaltending was not great, but I think all in all they played well, and sometimes you just lose. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, look, we know the Kraken play the Avalanche tough. They always have. Uh, especially last year, even in the regular season, not just the playoffs. Uh, And it's kind of stretched until now. We saw kind of a a vintage and vintage for all the wrong reasons type of game for the Avalanche yesterday from last season, where injuries kind of decimate the depth, even though it was one guy this time. Injuries kind of decimate the depth, and you end up with McKinnon, Rantanen, and Nachushkin, your top three forwards playing big minutes, Nakar and Case playing big minutes, and pretty much they're the only ones that are going. So it was very similar in that sense. Uh, Seattle also scored the first goal, which they did every single game of the seven-game series last year. They also did it in a game the Avalanche won 4-1 to on October 17th. So it was very vintage in that sense, but I do agree. They did not play a bad game. I think the biggest takeaway you can get from a game like that is I, I recall back to when the Avalanche beat the Carolina Hurricanes earlier in the season to improve to 5-0. and They obviously ended up going on the road beating the Islanders and going 6-0. and but I asked Jared, I said, you know, how do you keep doing this? You, you added three or four new players. Actually, this year was six new players to your forward group, and you started 5-0. and You did the same thing in 2020, the year they added Kadri, Berkey, uh, Nichushkin, and Donskoy. They started 5-0. and And he said, we're winning, but we're not at our best, and we have, a, we have another gear, and I'm probably just being hard on my guys. I probably have a higher standard. But, but he's like, that's how I genuinely feel. And what I saw yesterday – because what we saw early in the season was Nichushkin wasn't entirely there offensively. He's still a great two-way player, so when he's not scoring, he's still pitching in, but he was missing something offensively. Nathan McKinnon, he had nine points in his first ten games. He wasn't dominating the games that he did, like he did against the Devils and against the Seattle Kraken, so we're seeing him kind of get a little bit better. We're seeing the defense start to pitch in offensively after outside of Makar, everybody's kind of had a slow start. So, in the same way that that Carolina win in those first five games were victories at a time where you're expecting more out of the Avalanche, what I saw yesterday was a loss from a team that is starting to take those strides to reach their maximum potential. That's what we've been seeing the last two or three seasons. The Avalanche don't go off to 10-0, and 10-1 starts like the Golden Knights do. They take a month or two to figure it out, and then they start flying. Now, they don't have to wait too long to get things back. In order, they will take on the Blues, who they beat not all that long ago with uh, Ivan Prosvetov in net. Uh, he was in net last night. But the truth of the matter is, is it's a it's a very good start for the Avs. Eight and four, you really don't want to look at it. that This happens in a long season. You could play a good game and still lose. that sports. At the same time, they're two and four in their last six games. And that's not yeah. the way the Avalanche uh, think of themselves, nor given their talent, they probably should. What do you think over these last half dozen games are missing that they haven't been able to put on display in the first chunk of the season? 
I think honestly, the biggest thing is they're still trying to figure out their combinations. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. I what I've noticed from this team is, and and you know what, it's an eighty-two. When you're this good, you can take the time to figure things out. That's what made last year so tough. They were out of the playoffs at game forty, and they had no more time to test things out. They had to just roll with McKinnon and Ray. And I don't expect that to be the case this year. You're gonna need the time. One of the things that I love that Jared is sticking with because we know he's open to trying new combinations, and I agree with his with his uh, with what he's trying to do here is he is. Hell or high water. He's keeping Nachushkin and Johansson together as much as possible. Obviously, looking an injury aside, but he's keeping them together as much as possible because without Landeskog, we know there's a little bit of a hole in the top six. We spoke, uh, all three of us, when I was on your guys' show before the season began, we talked about Druen is the guy on the top line. If he doesn't do well, Tatar will get a shot. If he doesn't do well, Sandy, you and I said, you know what, let's give Ross Colton a shot. They haven't gone there yet, but... The moral of the story is they know they have a combination, a duo in McKinnon and Rantanen that's going to crush it no matter who you put as their third guy, which now is Lekkinen before the injury. They're trying to create that pair on the second line. If they can get 12 and 13, Johansson and Nachushkin to be that second pair, and maybe that goal yesterday will help out because we're starting to see Valve play a little bit better, and we know Johansson is a playmaker despite having one assist. He's got five goals. It's very strange. If they can get 12 and 13 going and 29 and 96 going, well, now you feel a little bit better about the fact that you got to plug and play. Lekkonen on one line, maybe it's Druen, maybe it's Tatar, maybe you give O'Connor a shot, maybe you give Colton, Wood. It doesn't matter. You have two duos that you trust. So they're still trying to figure that out. The defense, we're still seeing a lot of Gerard with Manson, Byron with Manson, Gerard with Byron. We're still seeing a lot of Jack Johnson with Manson, Jack Johnson. Yeah, Jack Johnson. We're, we're seeing a lot of that. And I I, I will follow up uh, because I, that's not necessarily a sore spot, but I, I don't think it's ideal that Byram and Gerard are paired off together. Uh, I don't I think it necessarily helps either one of them. Uh, but it, this is my opinion, and I'd like your reaction to it. I just don't think Johnson or Manson is playing well enough right now to put on the second defense tandem. And I I think they're kind of forced to play Gerard and Byram together because the other two guys are Johnson's 11, 12 minutes a game. Max uh, Manson is not playing well, and he's maybe 15. I think they had to stretch him out a little bit. Uh, last night, uh, fifteen forty-six. That was uh, a little heavy uh, for him, um, and and I know Gerard and Byram. I think are together because they're third and fourth in ice time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you put one of them back in a third tandem, you can't play one of the two as much as uh, uh, they want to play him. That. What do you think about that? You you think they'd I mean, rather split them up if all things were. Uh, equal and Manson and Johnson were playing a little better. They'd they'd split those two up, put Byram with either Manson or Johnson, and put Gerard with the other one. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. That's that's probably part of the reason. I asked Jared about it a couple of weeks ago if, if it was because you know he's not seeing enough from Manson on the second pair, and he kind of brushed it off. I think he just kind of he switched the question more to talking about the positives of Gerard and Byram. I think what Jared needs to get back to, because he has done this before and he's done it confidently, I just don't think he's doing it confidently right now, is having pairs for certain situations. Makar and Taves, 
play together on the PK. They play together on the on on at right. even strength. Right. If you were to put right. them together on the power play, by all means, they would crush it there as well. Defensive zone, offensive zone, neutral zone, three on three, four on four, five on five. You put McCarr and Cade together, they'll figure it out. What they got to get back to, what Jared's got to confidently get back to, and having that confidence means you got to have that confidence in Mike Manson and Jack Johnson, which is what you and I are kind of hypothesizing right now that he doesn't have. Right. Is you have a defensive zone draw, and it's Byram's turn to go up, put out Byram and Manson. You have an offensive zone draw, there's a minute, 10 seconds left in the second period, and you guys are pressing, and it's Byram's turn to go up. Yeah, put in Byram and Gerard. Start to play it more situational. It's kind of similar yeah. to yeah. it's kind of similar to the forward units. I mean, the second line winger yesterday was Riley Tufty. Yeah, Riley Tufty played at even strength, obviously with with Val and Johansson for a majority of the game. Mostly, until the like yeah. injury happened. Yeah, until until the like an injury happened. Right. Uh, but he was in that top six. But Riley Tufty played fourteen ten. Logan O'Connor played fifteen eleven. Miles Wood was a little bit behind him. So, despite Logan O'Connor being a third liner, despite uh, he's getting Tuffy pretty heavy minutes liner. for a third liner, isn't he? Yeah, O'Connor. yeah, yeah. But deservedly it's, it's, but so. It's, yeah, he one hundred percent. The guy starts every season just on a tear, and then, uh, as one of as one of my close friends said, the the fifty two goal scoring drought this year for Logan O'Connor is going to hit different after that <laughs> short handed spree he had. But uh, the, the moral of the story is, despite Riley Tufty being the second liner, there were still situational shifts. I can't recall any off the top of my head, but obviously Logan O'Connor plays more on the PK. I'm sure if there was a shift in the defensive zone where the Avalanche figured it might be better to have O'Connor there digging the puck out with Nachushkin, they probably went that route instead. It's the same thing with the decor. I think they need to get more back to when you have those, you know, there was, there was those, that time where it was, uh, it was Tyson Berry and Sam Gerrard when Gerrard first was traded here. It was Gerard with, I want to say it was Gerard and EJ, and then it was Barry and Zadorov. But then the Avalanche would have these like offensive pushes. You know, they're down three to two with eight minutes left in regulation, and it's a face off in the offensive zone. It was screw it. Let's put out McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog, and let's put Gerard and Barry back there, knowing very well Gerard and Barry's a terrible defensive unit on the defensive side, but we need to score here. So if they can get back to trusting Manson and trusting Jack Johnson separately, to play in those kind of situational shifts, then it makes sense where, you know, nothing is better than when the ads have the, they have the pressure in the offensive zone and Gerard and Byram are cycling the heck out of the puck with the offensive unit. You're not going to get that out of Jack or Josh. Like that's not what they're here to do. So if they can get back to having that confidence in those guys to play them more situationally, I think it would be better for them. It would be better for Byram, for Gerard, and obviously for Jared. He is Arif Dean, the lead writer for the Avalanche on MileHighSports.com and the host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast. You can check that out over at MileHighSports.com on the app or anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, make sure you give him a follow on social at RunRightArif. That's A-A-R-I-F. Uh, thanks for the insight. Obviously, we'll take a look at the, this for the Avs. You know, you start 6-0 uh, and oh, and then the next six you go to 2-4. and four. Uh, It's not as if things are bad on the whole, but they're not trending in the direction you'd like to see them. We'll find out what they do Saturday uh, before they get another crack at the same Kraken on Monday night. Thanks, Arif. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks so much, Arif Dean, joining us. Uh, The Avalanche pointed out we'll be back at it on Saturday night against the St. Louis Blues. And uh, you have those great starts, and then things get wobbly. Now, for the Avs, they're still 8-4. and Everything looks perfectly fine. There's no panic. Colorado Buffalo started out (laughs) 3-0. 
Uh, it's If it's not panic, it might be close. At least it seems that maybe there's a little acting out of panic up in Boulder. We'll talk about the Buffs and the Denver Broncos with our friend from CBS News Colorado, Justin Adams, next on Lally Sports. Daddy works a long day. He be coming home.